0: everyone, and welcome back to Agency Nation Radio. This is part two of our two-part series on digital disruption in the insurance industry. With me, as always, is Marty Agather. Marty, say hello. Howdy. So we have, um, we, we have the second part of our disruption presentation that we gave in the, uh, the Leadership Institute down in New Orleans, Louisiana in September to the, at the National Big Eye Conference. Uh, Marty and I hosted a room of probably about 300 people, and we decided uh, that that went so well and it was received by uh, the audience so well that we would break it up into two sections um, and, and deliver it here on the podcast. So if you listen to episode number 11, uh, that was the first half, and this is ep- uh, part two, episode number 12 of Agency Nation Radio. But just to give us a quick um, a quick run-up, Um, Marty, why don't you uh, just kind of catch everybody up quickly on what we said last time in case they've forgotten or or didn't have an opportunity to listen to part one.
1: Sure. So what we talked about, uh, is, you know, a transition and how that difference differs from just, um, improvement or innovation in an industry. And the real, the real differentiator is that, uh, a, a, um, Disruption is so intense that it it requires you to completely rethink what's going on, whereas innovation or improvement are just, you know, sort of incremental uh, issues. So uh, our definition of disruption is what a disruption does to a business or, as we're going to talk about today, potentially to an entire industry, uh, is profound and how the business manages this disruption determines its future. When, it, when a disruption comes into um, a business or an industry, the changes are so um, dramatic that if you don't change the nature of your business, there is a, a good possibility that your business will cease to exist. And so uh, that's, our, that's our topic overall. Disruption comes from a number of uh, different places in a business or industry, um, it can come from existing competitors, new competitors, people who do business in a new way. Um, but one of the things that we talked about in detail in episode 11 was when disruption comes from the customer. And what Ryan and I expo- Ryan and I explored was this concept of what we call the new normal. Which is all of these changes to consumer behavior that have sort of set the stage, that have created a platform for somebody to come in and completely revolutionize the way insurance is distributed.:
0: Yeah, so you know, just to kind of uh, put a capstone on it, basically, there is a new consumer mindset. And, and really uh, kind of the modern marketplace, which the Internet is part of, but really just um, advancements in, in, all, in all ways of the industry, including the relationship between carriers and and vendors and agents and, and how agents interact with each other and, and clusters and all these things have created an atmosphere ripe for disruption. So today what we're going to do... Is uh, build on the ideas, and if you're interested in the new normal and the definition of disruption and the idea of digital lapping and all that kind of stuff, uh, go back and listen to episode number 11 if you didn't. So the the episode right before this. Uh, what we're going to take the rest of this episode and do is dive into some some examples of disruptions that are either in their very early stages that we think could become major disruptions or things that are on the horizon. That, that may become disruptions. Neither Marty, this is a disclosure, neither Marty nor I can see into the future. So uh, we have no idea of what the disruption is actually going to be though uh, both of us are fairly dialed into the pulse of the industry and uh, I think it, this makes just for good fodder in terms of, um, in terms of thinking about uh, what's possible and understanding that the only thing that we can absolutely guarantee, and Marty, I think that you would agree with me on this, so I'm going to talk for you, is that change is going to happen. Change is absolutely going to happen. It has been happening for a 100 years. Things are always changing. And whenever we talk about disruption, people say, well, the fax machine was going to do that, and the personal computer was going to do that, and, and on and on. And, you know, I think what people forget is that The computer did completely change the way agencies operated their business. Paperless has completely changed the way many agencies run and operate their business. E-signature has completely changed the way some agencies operate. So I think, do we think any of these things are going to destroy the industry? Absolutely not. Do we think all of them have the potential to significantly disrupt and change the course of the industry? Absolutely. So um, with that, I want to kind of get into what I think is probably the the number one disruptor that whether it actually is a disruption or not, we can debate. But uh, I think it's probably the most common example that is used and something that's been in the news a lot, and that is Google Compare Auto Insurance. Take me home on on this one, Marty.
1: Sure. So Google Compare uh, Auto is a classic example of this new competitor coming into the space. right? Google is not a known insurance name. They build on that platform of, of the new normal. They they are taking a bunch of consumer behaviors, and they're going out there. They're not the only new competitor, right? So we've seen there have been new competitors in this business for as long as the business has been around. Um, we have, to some degree, as an industry, sort of benefited from the fact that our industry is very complicated, very large. You just can't break in with a better idea um, and expect it to... to um, work overnight. It's a lot of hard work. It burned up a lot of capital. So to some degree, I think we we sit back and we we don't think that we have to worry because none of these new competitors have um, ever had any success. So therefore, the, the latest and greatest won't, right? So two of them that uh, have come in is Walmart and then uh, Overstock.com. Now, Overstock.com I think is is comedic because overstocked insurance, right? So somehow an insurance company has too many policies this month, they're going to sell them lower. Well, we all know that doesn't work, right? But the, the interesting thing about both of those is they are, they are organizations that have access to retail buyers, and they're trying to get to those buyers and convince them to buy another product. So that's interesting. But going back to Google Compare Auto, um, one of the things that they are doing and and Ryan it, Ryan brought this up. They're heavily focused on consumer experience. So while they while they do things that aren't maybe that radical, you know, they offer online quoting, a number of options, and they connect you with um, the seller of insurance, whether it's the insurance company directly or an agent who represents that carrier. Uh, what they are focusing on is consumer experience, Ryan.
0: Yeah, so this is the major disruption for me uh, when I look at this in terms of uh where where its p- potential the potential that it has to be a disruption and what I think it could potentially actually change about our industry. Because he, one little caveat uh before I get into my my response Martin is um not every disruption is like a is a disruption that that takes the insurance industry and now it's something completely different, right? there could be there could be micro disruptions inside an industry that completely change the way a certain function happens or the way we attack the business or view the business and those can over time have changes so it's not like everything is just here one day gone the next a lot of times it's a series of micro disruptions in different aspects of our business that ultimately lead to the larger change and it's it's in the customer experience and how we view customer experience that i ultimately see Google Compare being the biggest driver of disruption, so let me explain what that means. For those who aren't familiar with Google Compare, Google Compare Auto Insurance is a subdivision of Google Compare, which is a subdivision of the larger company, um, and I think it falls under Google's now, technically the parent company is Alphabet, and then Google is a subdivision of that, and so these are all part of the Google family and originally launched in the United Kingdom. Now, the United Kingdom's culture is completely different in terms of the way people view auto insurance. So over there, comparison shopping is really just a way of life, and I actually think in doing some more digging, uh, part of the regulations is that carriers cannot auto-renew policies. So actually, the culture and the regulations prompt people to shop their insurance every year, which makes comparison shopping in the digital space uh, almost a necessity at this point. So Google Compare Auto Insurance fit in very well and was able to make uh, incredible achievements in that space. Now, they're not doing quite so well here in the United States. They're not doing poorly, but they're not doing quite so well. And A lot of that has to do with the culture here is, is less comparative shopping. Now, we have a certain subset of our population that wants that, but it's, it's not what the U.K. is. And plus, the U.K. is about the size of New York State, so it's a much smaller uh, sample size than, you know, spread out over the United States. Okay, so when we had at TrustedChoice.com the opportunity to meet with Google Compare and uh, their team, including their CEO, uh, maybe a half dozen times. So we've spent some time and got a chance to really, really um, see into the mindset of, of the way they view their business. So the way... Google Compare views their business is that their clients, who they internally call their clients, are the people searching for insurance. The insurance carriers and the insurance agents on their platform are simply fulfillment centers. Now, this is a very interesting way of thinking about a business. I and and having lived in a traditional agency. For eight years, I, we very much think about uh, our insurance as our clients. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But I also think that there is a pervasive idea that how the carrier wants to dictate the way business da- is done and how the agency wants to dictate how business is done are much more important than how the, our clients or customers actually want to do business. So what this means is where Google Compare is first and foremost always thinking about how do we make this process as easy and as friendly and as um, enjoyable for the client, the, the actual person who is thinking about purchasing insurance. They don't care or at least do not put as much consideration into what it takes from the agency or carrier side. It's it's much more. We're going to create this incredible thing for the client, and then the carriers and agents have to adapt to us. And I think that from an agency perspective, if we think less about how we like to do business, and we set aside the fact that we prefer offline or we don't like to, you know, we feel uncomfortable texting or or whatever, um, and we think about how that client wants to do business, I think that's an incredibly, I think that is a change in our industry because what's happening is the clients are starting to demand that we make those changes. And if we don't, they're
1: leaving. Can I, uh, can I throw a little uh, emphasis point on this? Ryan said something there that I think really needs to be unpacked, okay? Google doesn't look at agents and carriers in a traditional manner. They look at them as fulfillment centers. Think about when you buy something from Amazon. Those products are in warehouses all across the country. Do you care which warehouse Amazon ships you whatever you just bought from? No. All you care about is that you got a good price and it shows up on time. That's a very very key point to think about.
0: Hmm. That is really really interesting, and um, you know, I I think it kind of takes us into our next disruptor. Um, so so this is this idea of, of customer experience. Uh, the next one that I want to jump into, Marty, is actually um, is actually a product that comes from a carrier. And that is a progressive snapshot, and overall, kind of, um, it's 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 individual-based underwriting. And you may say, Ryan, that's kind of a leap. But really, when you think about it, it's not. Uh, what 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 specific and what specific or individual-based underwriting uh, does is provide a unique experience and rating model for the individual. I'm not paying. You know, you think I I'm you know, you as a pooled rating, I'm paying because my zip code has more accidents than other people, even if I don't, I'm paying because my, my demographics do, or the car that I has getting more accidents than I might, right? So all these things are indicators of accidents, but none of them actually are me, the person, my individual experience, my individual, uh, interaction with the road and my car and, and how I drive. So I think that, uh, the, what, snapshot though I, I don't think it has as widespread an adoption yet as it will someday i don't i do think i don't think that maybe uh the fact that it, everyone isn't using it yet isn't an indicator of its uh, failure i know they're doing uh new iterations to the back end and i'd like you to talk about that a little bit marty because i know you have some uh some very um intimate knowledge into uh some of the software updates and kind of managing this product uh that you when you interviewed kevin ament
1: sure so um at the At the sort of higher level, this is this area of competition where one of the competitors in the space suddenly changes the process to the point where they get a disruptive power um, and and uh, the author that we refer to here, uh, Andy Grove, talks about a ten times not ten percent better ten times better way to do things and this uh, ultimately, we're sort of talking at a high level about usage-based insurance. We're talking about progressive drive specifically. Um, but the thing that's very interesting about progressive drive, when when you think about the way in, in, in Ryan's um, example of, of underwriting by class, what what we do is we, we sort of pool all the risks and then we sort of make big observations on what's going on. This this, this move to individual underwriting is huge in that what it allows you to do is to better segment and to better pick risk, which ultimately affects your costs because you have fewer losses if you're picking those risks appropriately, which gives you price advantage, which just creates this virtuous cycle. You start grabbing all the good business, your competitors' loss ratios go worse, blah, blah, blah. So let's talk specifically about um, DRIVE and, and what we've learned from Progressive. And that is the number one um, evaluator that they have, the, the one that is closest one-to-one relationship of all of the underwriting factors that that Progressive tracks, and this is probably, I don't know, 50, 100 different underwriting factors, the one that has the closest correlation to actual accident statistics is points, or the actual physical record of the driver themselves, their driving record, do they have tickets, and their accident record. Have we paid claims to that customer? When you compare version one of Progressive's new algorithm using the drive components, the way you drive your car, the data that's coming from the little component that they plug into your vehicle, is 150% more correlated to your accident rate than your driving record, the the, the points version. So that's a huge uptick in their ability to identify customers who are going to have losses versus those who aren't. Kevin peeled back the curtain a little bit for us uh, about, I don't know, about a half a year ago now. Ryan, give or take, we were down in uh, St. Louis at the Artrike Brand Camp. Yep. And uh, And
0: just tell everyone who Kevin is.
1: I'm sure Kevin Ament is... Uh, I I don't know exactly what is he's vice president, I think, over there and and he's in their personal line division. He is responsible for the drive product, at least that's one of his responsibilities. And most importantly, he's he's in in you know, one of his, his responsibilities is to get independent agencies to realize how powerful this product is. And to offer it, because it is, many, many agents don't even know this. It is available. If you represent Progressive, you can sell your customers the, that uh, drive product today. So that's what he's trying to do, is explain why this is a good product, not only for the consumer, but also for the agency. Because it gives you a very competitive tool that allows a consumer to um, affect their, the premiums that they pay by having safe driving. So it's a, it's a win all the way around. So, version one of their version one of their algorithm is 150 percent better than the best previous indicator that Progressive had. And for those of you who may not know, Progressive is probably the biggest data hound in in the insurance industry. As far as I know, those guys were talking big data before anybody else in in insurance was talking big data. This goes back three, four, five years ago. I heard um, their CEO speak. So, uh, but. Kevin pulled pulled back the curtain and showed us, he didn't give us exact numbers, but he showed us on a graph, version two of that drive algorithm is probably two times as effective in determining who was going to have losses as version one was. So now you're probably talking three or four times better than the best indicator that our industry has to date for who may or may not have accidents in their vehicles it's a huge huge uh, upside for them and potentially a monstrous competitive advantage that their competitors need to address
0: yeah and it just it it changes the whole way you talk and think and 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 operate in terms of personal auto at this point and it has every uh there's no reason that at some point it can't be pushed over to commercial auto, and I think that this idea of um, setting up underwriting metrics that really are one to one to the to the risk versus pooled rating, I think that technology will continue to move us towards uh, that that type of underwriting. Um, I, it'll be for for different risks. It's going to take you know much longer and. Uh, that kind of thing, I think, auto and just kind of usage base, where you actually have a device you can plug in, and, and we use it, we use these cars and vehicles so often that it, it generates a lot of data quickly, um, is an obvious first step. But I think over time, and that could be a huge disruption to our business. Um,
1: and, and I want to, I yeah. want to talk. I'm sorry, I want to talk about another usage based insurance product that's out there that some people may not be aware of, and that's Metro Mile. Metro Mile actually charges you by the number of miles you drive. So just like a comp policy that's based on estimated uh, payroll, right, and then you true it up at the end, Metro Mile says, how many miles do you think you're going to drive? And then they want to audit you a little bit at the end. Today, they're not hugely uh, impactful, but I want you to listen to the states that they're in today, California, Illinois, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Washington State. So they are starting to spread coast to coast. I think these guys have a unique product. And, and the thing that's very interesting about their website is, you know, go to any, go to any of our insurance companies' websites and what's it, it's all about, you know, the value of insurance, this, that, and the other thing. You go to the Metro Mile website. They have all sorts of blog posts about how to get along without using your car. They're helping their customers pay less for insurance by saying you don't even need to have insurance if you don't use your car four days a week.
0: Yeah, and I think this is a you know this is this to me is is a huge transition, and it really takes us into, um, it really pulls us into into could go two ways in in our two last disruptions I want to talk about today, which uh, I'm going to take this into the idea of the sharing economy, right? So Uh how do you ensure? How do you market to? How do you provide value to people who don't have automobiles, right? Because I'll tell you, if I lived in a city right now, I would not own an automobile. I think that's crazy. I've used Uber enough times. If I lived in a place with with more than decent uh, uh, transportation, uh, public transportation, and I could Uber using a car or use, um, uh, geez, now I'm going to forget the name of the, you rent the car, like literally they're parked on streets and you just take it for the day and you park it back in the parking spot and it's all done through an app and it's killing me. I can't remember its name now that we're on the show. But um, there are many services that are allowing more and more, specifically people in urban areas today, to... Not have autos. I mean, imagine if every person in New York City just stopped having an automobile. I mean, that is an enormous blow to the auto insurance industry, to to all of the uh, personal lines insurance agencies in that greater metropolitan area. I mean, this is really, it it has the potential to to create a disruption that is nothing to do with our product and everything to do with the way people actually operate their lives. Um, So, you know, talk to me a little bit about uh, the sharing economy, Marty, and how it's how it's uh, has the potential for disruption.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, statistics say that people, you know, of my age, typically white picket fence, you know, two point three kids and a and a dog. Also, and I'm making this part up, but you know, multiple cars in every household. That is not the case for um, the tail end of millennials and moving into the next uh gen x it's just the fact of the matter is a car is not seen as you know the the deliverer of or deliverer of freedom the way it was in the past and so that is creating an opportunity for new products um but here's where our industry sort of is you know tied up in its past because we don't know really how this works. We're a little skeptical. So we don't offer product. One of the things that we know is extraordinarily difficult for our industry to deal with right now is those people who are participating in the sharing economy on the Uber Lyft side of the business. And we could talk, maybe that's another show for us, Ryan, is this whole concept of how do you ensure, um, You know, and what what does that mean? But the point is, there's lots of people out there that are looking to be covered appropriately. And our industry is doing a magnificently bad job of providing opportunities. We talked just a second about Metro Mile. Metro Mile actually has an endorsement for Uber drivers. Okay, so are we, you know, are we alienating or turning off a whole segment of the, of the economy and future buyers, maybe they're not, you know, going back to a discussion we've had many times in the past, maybe they're not exactly our type of customer today, but at some point they, they, they very m- m- may well be our type of customer. So by ignoring them today, are we impacting our ability to attract them to our, to our channels in the future?
0: You know, you just said something, and we don't have a ton of time left on the show, but I'm gonna go here really quickly. You said they're not our clients today, but they could be our clients in the future. And this is gonna be a whole show because it is like a tornado. It's more like a it's more like that storm on Jupiter brewing inside me, like that hurricane that takes up like three quarters of the planet. Um, I think that we have forgotten as an industry that everyone is our client, right? Like we want to, one thing that drives me nuts is that um, agents love to market their business on the idea that they have 30 carriers and we have all these options, yet only if you have an 800 credit score, two cars, a house, uh, you have to have an umbrella, uh, you can't have had a loss in the last five years, and um, you must not live more than 20 miles from my office. So if you fit all that criteria, then we can write. We have all these options for you. And everyone else, nope, we can't write those. We don't want to do that. I think that uh, the biggest disruption that's hitting our industry is the variety of risks that the independent insurance agent is going to have to be able to write. And not just have to be able to, but must be willing to write in the future in order to compete because... People, people switch insurance providers because they have a problem. It doesn't mean it's a big problem. It doesn't mean it's not an uninsurable problem. It doesn't mean anything other than something is going on that is creating opportunity for them to switch providers of insurance. And if we compartmentalize our business into just the cream of the crop, it's going to kill us because there is too many agents To only write the cream—that's that's 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 the reality. Is I'm not saying independent agents won't survive; many will, but a lot of them won't, or at least a good number of them won't. Because if we're only willing to write the cream, there's not enough cream anymore for independent agents to only write the cream. State Farm, Geico, uh, all you know—many independent agents, uh, independent agent carriers are starting to create direct product lines in various places, and. All of them are willing to write the cream as well, and some of the stuff below that. And when you, if you're only looking for the cream, that pie is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think we need to be open to thinking about things like, how do we find uses for progressive drive? How do we get into the sharing economy? What does Google's driverless car mean for us? How can we get into that market? Um, does a tool like Google Compare help our business uh, should we uh, be open twenty four seven? Can we have an after hours call center? Should we get rid of? I mean, uh, our our answering machine during work hours. I mean, all these things are are filtering items. Can, and can I? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I want to I want to tie this up in a neat, neat, tidy bow because it's not only agencies; it's also carriers yep. that have this same attitude. Okay, so I was doing some research a couple of days ago um and we're not going to we're not going to name names but this carrier is a specific um classic car market all right and i was looking at some customer comments and one of the comments was i live in boston massachusetts i own one car it's my classic car I drive it once a month because I take Uber and public transportation everywhere else. And you know what the underwriter told me? They can't insure me because I don't have a primary vehicle. Yeah.
0: It's incredible. And, you know, I I get it. Like, I get that... I guess I understand why in theory these things happen. I get it. You want... Margin, you wanna know, blah, 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 all that. And I and I and I get all those reasons. And I know I'm just, you know, talking head number one on some podcast, right? Um But I think looking out over the landscape, I, I think I think that is gonna be uh I think that really is gonna be the anchor that drowns um some players in the industry, both agencies and carriers. And it, it is I know that we are a risk-averse industry. I'm not denying that, nor do I think that all of a sudden we should open up the floodgates and write anything and everything willy-nilly. I, I, I get that, right? Uh, when you take on a risk as an underwriter, you're taking on a lot of responsibility. Uh, you write a car with a million-dollar uh, at-fault liability risk, and they kill somebody, that's a million dollars out of your company that you have to pay back for a premium that's probably a 1000 bucks a year. So I get it. But at the same time, um, the world is changing, and the sharing economy is not a fad, right? This is, this is happening. I, use, I don't use taxis anymore unless I'm forced to. I use Uber every single time I can. It's incredible. It is a better way to get around a city. For someone who travels to a lot of cities that I don't have any clue where I'm going, I am watching the driver drive the streets, watching him or her follow the little blue line, taking me to my destination. There's no guessing. There's no, uh, if they're clean, because if they're not clean, guess what they're getting? A one-star review. I can't give a review to my taxi driver who is talking on his earpiece with one hand, watching a video with the other, and the car smells like smoke and is grimy. Right? Like, it's a terrible experience riding in cab- cabs in most parts of this country. The sharing economy is happening. My mother, who is... Uh, you know, in her late 50s is now researching Airbnb in Austin, Texas to go visit my sister because my sister doesn't have enough rooms in her apartment that she lives in. So my mom's going to stay in an Airbnb. And she's not like super internet savvy. She doesn't travel all over. This is a per- a woman who would have stayed in a hotel but is now staying in an Airbnb because she can find a place close to my sister. She can find a place that she likes, buy- all these things. And it's, it's cost-effective, I mean, significantly cost-effective. And uh, this is coming, this is happening. And the diversification of how people live their lives, the work-at-home economy, I mean, I predominantly work at home. My car went from 36,000 miles a year I was putting on it as an agent to if I put 6,000 miles on my car in a year, that's a lot now. So th- the world is absolutely changing, and we have to have an open mind to it and understand that we can't always just want to skim the cream off the top because that's going to kill us. That is going to kill us. Those are the that aspect of our business is what I truly think all these all these little companies that are coming in, that's what the that's the gap that's allowing them to come into our industry is the fact that we only want the cream and they're coming in and saying, I'll base my entire business on renters insurance. I'll come in and take all the mid and high risk auto. I'll come in and do this and And independent agents are like, sure, great, take it. I just want those 800 credit scores, no accidents, you know, going to be with me for the next 20 years, people. And the problem is that scenario is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as the competition grows. And just those people don't exist anymore. Their lives are just different. They change. They, you know, at a younger and younger age, people have multiple homes. My my father-in-law has, you know, lives half the year in Florida, half the year in New York. Right? We have to be willing to to handle that. Is it a, a Florida primary is it a New York primary? It may be a Florida primary one year and a New York primary the next and you have to be able to adapt to that and uh, I just I, I don't want to carry this on for too much longer but uh, I think we've kind of put a good put a good uh, a bow on this but uh, it just that is a huge soapbox for me and I watch the referrals come through trustedchoice.com and this isn't a pitch for TC.com. it just it kills me when something that takes maybe just a little extra work, an agent will completely scoff at it and send it back to us as a bad lead because I don't feel like researching that. I don't feel like sending that to my MGA. I just, no, that's a bad lead. And it's business lost to our industry and that happens all the time. Um, So, okay, Marty, I'm I'm jumping down off my soapbox. All
1: right. So let's sort of wrap this thing, right? So when we get to that point where disruption takes place, we as as businesses need to move forward. And so I want to talk about how we move forward. And and that is um via um making sure that you are always paying attention, right? And we've got a uh we've got a great quote here, Ryan. I don't know if you want to do that, you want me to do that, but uh
0: Yeah, I'll I'll include this slide in the show notes, too. So if you go to agencynation.com forward slash podcast, you'll get to the page which uh, has our our episode archives on it. Go to episode 12, and you can see this slide. But uh, I'll let you tell them what it says. But I just wanted to let everyone know that this image, uh, this kind of cool graphic will be in the show notes if you want to see it or share it or put it on your own uh, Facebook page or something for your agency.
1: Sure. So, so what we're talking about, right, is is that point at which dis, is is that that disruption point is where we are at a spot in our business where we either completely change our business to adapt to the new realities, or our business crashes and dies. Okay. And uh, the CEO of HBO, Richard Plepler had this quote in an article and I think it's beautiful. And what it says is culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, and, and where I want you to think about this is for your business agency or company to survive in times of disruption, your culture, your internal culture has to be aggressive and always vigilant. You've got to be willing to sit there and say, I have to throw portions or a majority of my business away because if I continue to do that, my business will be dead. And that is a cultural touchstone that we as leaders in our business and in our industry need to empower other people to do that. If that's your attitude, but the rest of your organization is clutching to the familiar, problems. Yeah. And I
0: just uh, – this is the last thing, and, and we're going to wrap up here. The last thing that I want to put on this is, is, is really – and this is, this is something my dad used to say this all the time Like when I was a kid. I would like, be walking out of the house for school that day, and he'd be like, Ryan, keep your head on a swivel. Right and like it's kind of a strange thing to say. Usually it's synonymous with sports, and maybe that's where it came from since uh, we're a very athletic family. But um, uh, the idea is like you, we have no clue what's coming. I mean, me and Marty just pontificated for 25 minutes, and none of that stuff could happen. But something is going to happen, right? The only thing that we know is that change will come. Someone else will come in and do something. And the only way to be prepared for it is to is to really believe that that we can adapt and change based on what's going on and that, and that always working forward and looking forward is the only way to survive and that having our head down and pretending like it doesn't exist and leaning on things that worked in previous years is not the solution. It doesn't mean you can't do those things, but it does mean that, that new or different or modified versions of how those processes operate in your, in your agency have to be put in place. So uh, with that... Um, you know, I love that culture eat strategy for breakfast. It just is so true. It empowers your people to to make decisions and 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 you don't have to worry about building a strategy around something if you know that your people will handle it properly. It's uh it's it's very very powerful. So, um with that we're going to wrap this show up. This has been part 2 of uh our podcast series on disruption. Um and I hope you guys come back. Make sure you're subscribing on iTunes. And one very cool thing uh, that I'll leave everyone with is we recently did a survey on Agency Nation, uh, everyone on the newsletter, so people who get our newsletter. We have a couple different versions of it, one that comes daily, one that comes weekly, and we're constantly looking to get better. And we had over 100 people respond to this survey and and give us some really great ideas on both content they want to see coming... And ways to modify and improve the newsletter and the experience that we provide through that. I want to thank everyone, if you're listening, who responded to that. We took that 100% seriously. Uh, we, we forwarded throughout our entire company and, and showed everyone kind of here's the things we need to improve. Here's what we need to build upon. And, uh, it's, it's feedback like that that, that grows, that grows, um, the resource, right? This is a free resource. Marty and I do this. You don't have to pay for any of this. And we love doing it. I mean, really love doing it. Um, So if you have ideas, if you have feedback, uh, we're always looking for that. We appreciate everyone who responded. If you're not on the newsletter, there's going to be some really cool things coming through that. It really is the starting point for all things Agency Nation. And if you want to get on that newsletter, you can go to agencynation.com forward slash the word Newsletter. So agencynation.com forward slash the word newsletter and just put your name and email in. You'll be uh, added to the list and then that that is the focal point and the starting point for all things Agency Nation. So we appreciate your time uh, for Marty, for myself. It has been a pleasure as always. We'll look forward to you in the next episode. We are out of here.